Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, we actually have Seattle Kraken games to talk about this time. It feels like it's been an eternity since we've been able to do that. Games that count, no less. I, I'm so happy to have some of that to talk about, even though you know they may not have gone the way we would have wanted. Yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, of course, got to thank our sponsor, Queen Anne Beer Hall, for sponsoring this podcast as well as all the others throughout the year. Uh, always love working with them. And, you know, I've already been seeing it in Discord. People going to Queen Anne Beer Hall, trying to set up some meetups um, to watch some of these away games from the past week or so. I just I love seeing that, RJ. It's so great. Yeah, it is great to see the community getting there, too. I mean, you know, of course, you know, we, we like our, our, the watch parties that we set up there, too. But like even better when when people in the community are like, hey, I'm going to the hall. Who wants to join me? I think that's just really cool that it's kind of this grassroots thing people are setting up. Yep. Yeah, it's really, really awesome. So thanks to Queen Anne Beer Hall one more time for sponsoring the podcast. Um, all right, RJ. So we're going to we're going to we're having to record this early on Monday. Uh, before the Krakens practice, before you can be there and um, talk with the team, get updates, say like on a Brandon Tanev or something like that. So everybody just check the Emerald City Hockey Twitter, right? Instagram, all that kind of stuff. We'll have the news later on. And uh, Before I'm fully awake, so bear with me. I was going to say, yes. And don't blame RJ. It's because of a scheduling conflict on my end. Um so th there's there's not too much news and notes for us to talk about. So let's just break down the games and then get to the interesting question I kind of have um, for you a little bit later on, RJ, when we get into like the deep dive, we can dive into some roster construction stuff based on what everybody's been kind of feeling and saying on Twitter and Discord and in the postgame lives and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, everybody make sure you stick around for that. But first, the games. And that started last Tuesday, RJ, opening night. In Vegas, we had to sit there for like 45 minutes while their banners slowly raised out of a giant slot machine. But once it eventually got to the top, they played some hockey. And it was electric, as the ref would say. <laughs> um it, i was guy. gonna say you know for the kraken it, the ref was kind of spot on right it they, they it was about that electric for them i would say pretty much <laughs> yeah uh. it was it was a rough 4-1 loss for them did we learn anything from this though rj because i feel like the kraken were able to look okay in some respects maybe not so much in others but it was also it just like was vegas gonna ever lose this game I don't know. It, in the beginning of the game, it felt like there was certainly a chance that Vegas could lose the game. And they had, as our, our buddy Ken at Sinbin.Vegas said, probably the, the least surprising bad start to a game in Golden Knights history, just because, I mean, they had just raised that banner. Their minds could not have possibly been on hockey at that point. And I thought the Kraken came out to a pretty good start. First five or six minutes, they controlled most of the possession. They were on the Golden Knights. I think given the final score, we kind of forget that the game started that way. Mm -hmm. but Kraken couldn't take advantage of it with a goal, couldn't really finish, and eventually Vegas catches them. I don't even want to say in transition because it was just a really good quick breakout and perfectly executed three-on-two. The Kraken were back defending. Everybody was more or less in position, but Chandler Stevenson found a couple inches of room behind Brian Dumoulin, and all of a sudden you're trailing one nothing. Yeah, it's it's just one of those, look, Vegas is a good team. They just raised a cup banner, right? And so they were able to 
um you know all be on the same page and and execute on just a really really nice play and you know hey you're down it's only by one though right you're still in this game kraken can still respond lots of time left and then about five minutes left in the period yeah the age-old question is it better to be lucky or to be good well of course vegas reminding everyone first that they're good and then second that they're lucky in a really weird goal brandon tanev kind of just trying to throw a puck behind his own net goes off jonathan marchessault's stick right behind a bewildered philip grubauer and all of a sudden it's two nothing and and the kraken you know have to try and regroup really quickly yeah and look the kraken have done and this will be a theme as we talk about the three games starting off a game really really strong starting off the second period not so much right and that's kind of been a theme it seems like for the kraken through all three of these games you know you mentioned the hot start against vegas we'll certainly mention that for the for the next two games but uh you know barbashev's able to get that goal you know a minute 20 into the second period all of a sudden now you're in a three nothing hole things are starting to look worse the power plays not converting on any of their opportunities. Eventually, you're able to get a Jared McCann goal, RJ, because it's Jared McCann and he like is contractually obligated to get a goal on opening night every year for the Kraken as he made it three years in a row. But ultimately, I mean, there just wasn't enough offense in this one. And over time, especially in that second period, it felt like the defensive systems or at least what they had planned to try to stop that Vegas transition, it just kind of broke down. It did. And another thing you saw, too, is um, players just able to get behind the D2. You saw that on the third Vegas goal with, with Barbashev taking off, just really taking advantage of, of the Kraken not being where they needed to be positionally. And that's something that Dave Haxtell pointed out, I think, a couple days later, actually, after their second game against Nashville, that it had become kind of a problem where, where players were getting behind the defense. Um, but really, Vegas, as soon as they woke up, as soon as they got that first goal, they just controlled the play from there on out. And they got a lot of really good chances. I think looking at the scoreline, seeing three goals on a, on a manned net uh, really doesn't express just how dominant Vegas was. They could have had four or five, certainly, uh, if not for Philip Grubauer. Yeah, Grubauer looked fantastic. Again, a theme we'll talk about as we go through all three of these games is is cracking goaltending, really looking up to snuff to start the season. Um, the other big one in this one, though, was you know the Kraken were able to get a five minute major uh, where they, you know, it's a power play for five minutes and you can score as many times as you want. And the Kraken decided they didn't want to score at all. Apparently uh, <laughs> that was the, the, the answer was zero. They had 11 minutes of power play time in this one, RJ. And I don't have the exact, you know, shot figures, but as much as we were trying to, to hope and think that things were going to change and be different for the power play, certainly in this Vegas game, RJ, it looked it looked just as bad as it was last year. That's right. I mean, they struggled to get even shots through on the power play. It just looked completely disjointed, not prepared at all, really, to meet that moment. And when you have a five-minute major power play down a couple goals in the third period, that's it. That's your chance yep. to get back in the game. If you can't convert on that, it's pretty much game over. And I tried to wait until I broke out the whole, you know, the power plays costing them games thing. Uh, I, I mentioned it last season, and I, I don't want to rush to that, you know, panic spot with the power play. But I think looking back at it, it certainly cost them a chance at at least a point in this Vegas game. There's no other way to look at it. 
Yeah, no, I, I anytime you go 0 for 4, that's obviously not going to help you win. As you mentioned, right, the major is your chance to get back in. I mean, a five-minute major is as close the closest thing another team can give to you that, that you can consider a gift in the middle of a hockey game. Like, that is, that is the number one best thing an opponent could ever gift you in the middle of, of a hockey game. And Vegas gifted the Kraken it, and the Kraken just weren't able to take advantage of it. On the flip side, however, RJ, the other side of special teams, Kraken held Vegas to 0 for 4 on the power play. And Vegas's power play is pretty dang good. Um, so the PK started off fantastic in this one. I liked that. Kraken were able to outshoot the Vegas Golden Knights 33 to 28. There there were certainly positives from this game. You mentioned Grubauer. It was just still one of those nights where, you know, opening night and it kind of left a sour taste in the mouth. Yeah, exactly. And and of course, the lingering issue as well of why the five minute major happened. And that's because yep. Brandon Tanev uh, took a shot to the head from uh, from Brett Howden, uh, took like an elbow or shoulder to the head. Howden ends up getting suspended two games. Tanev, of course, takes that hit to the head, but he also kind of fell awkwardly. Maybe his ankle got twisted. And so he has missed the last two games injured. We don't have any update beyond just He's injured. He's not available. Uh, we're going to try and get one. I will I will push Dave Haxtell for one later today at practice uh, and we'll see what we get there. Yes, definitely. Because that, you know, there was there was talk about what the opening night lineup was going to be. Tanev obviously in there because he played in that game. Uh, Yamamoto started on the other side of the fourth line with him. But then as we looked into the Nashville game, RJ, Ty Cartier, somebody a lot of people were looking forward to seeing this year after what he was able to do in the postseason last year when he made his debut with the Kraken. Uh, he comes in for the injured Brandon Tanev. The Kraken go into Nashville and RJ, they were electric for the first 10 minutes of this game. I mean, they were swarming UC Soros. They were all over him. Uh, they were generating chances. The defense was suffocating. Nashville looked like they were not going to be able to do anything in this game whatsoever. And then Kraken get on a power play and and just everything falls apart, right? The, the power play's not able to generate every, anything. And then on top of it, at, at the 10-24 mark, or, oh, that's the second period. But even still, they had a couple power plays in the first period and they weren't able to do anything. And then it, Nashville starts getting back into the game. The second period starts. Again, Kraken come out flat for the second period. And then 10 minutes into that one, Kraken go on a power play. Colton Sissons is able to score for Nashville shorthanded. And, and it just felt like anything that the Kraken had left at that point was gone. Like they just, yeah, I mean, we it was could... gone. We, we could stop talking about any positives from that game as soon as that shorthanded goal is scored because it just kind of broke the Kraken. They were not the same team afterwards. Uh, the the heart, the compete was not there. It, it just felt like they, it was almost like season one where just they knew it was all going to go wrong, it feels like. We mm -hmm. had a number of those games where there was a certain moment like, okay, well, you know, that's it. Uh, and kind of reared its head in this one. But yeah, the strong starts, I mean, they they have been a theme for the crack in this season and, and we'll see it continue over into the St. Louis game as well. Uh, but, but really strong starts, but an inability to convert. And that's, mm -hmm. that's just been an issue. And it's, it's tough when you're facing goalie like UC Saros ends up getting the shutout in this game. Uh, and he is a very good goalie, but when you have a strong start like that, you have to find a way to convert somehow, especially when you have power play opportunities. Yeah. Crack and go over two on the power play in this one. I mean, it's oh man, RJ, it's so tough because like, 
the Kraken were they were doing so well. They had they had great puck movement in the offensive zone. Like I said, they had bodies in front of UC Saros. They were trying to make plays. The passing looked good and crisp and tape to tape. And there was there was so much. And then on top of it, you know, the Kraken were able to start taking some more aggressive approaches in the offensive zone. You were seeing defensemen really activate at the beginning of this Nashville game because, hey, look, you're not playing Vegas. You're not playing Dallas. You're not playing one of these top transition teams. Nashville doesn't have too many guys that are going to beat you with speed coming back the other way. And and it looked like the crack in advanced scouting really kind of told them that. They were able to adjust to that. And, and everything just looked so, so solid. And, and, and then as the game just kind of went away, you started seeing Nashville just pour stuff on. And you started seeing that the aggressive approach with the defenseman in the offensive zone was starting to lead to breakaways, odd man rushes for Nashville. And the next thing you know, Philip Grubauer is just under siege in this one, RJ. The amount of expected goals was unlike anything we had ever seen uh, against the Kraken. But you know what? Philip Grubauer was there and, and ready for the challenge. I'm kind of shocked as I look at the game recap that Philip Grubauer wasn't one of the stars of this game. To be perfectly honest, well, you can never count on that in road games. You know, know. it's always the, the home media that decides. I, I bet you know the stars were probably all three predators. No, yes, um, yeah, it looks like they were. So I mean, that's always going to be the case for a road game. But Grubauer was spectacular, and and certainly if the stars, I think, were you know kind of chosen more impartially, he would be one of them. I think this was the second most expected goals the Kraken have ever allowed in a game, playoff or regular season, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um so Grubauer just under fire in this one. I mean the fact that and by the way the third goal for Nashville was an empty net goal. So he only allows two uh, right. out of I believe you know more than four you know expected goals. Fantastic effort from Philip Grubauer. And uh, you mentioned uh, that you know Nashville they're not the fastest team. You know, they're not the best transition team. And so the Kraken knew that. And I liked watching the the coaching, you know, adjustments, counter adjustments in this game and watching along live with with people, too, with our patrons yeah. uh, for the live commentary. I thought that was really fun to see it all develop with them and kind of point mm-hmm. that stuff out. But the Kraken, they did their pre-scout. They knew Nashville's not a good transition team. They brought a lot of guys forward. They were really aggressive on the rush. And we we saw, I think, kind of the breaking point for that, where the Kraken had all five guys forward on a rush at one point. Nashville gets a four-on-one the other way, and they just cannot get it to move up the ice <laughs> no. fast enough to create a dangerous chance. It was the slowest moving four-on-one I've ever seen. And at that point, I think Nashville's coaching staff took a look at that and said, okay, well, we need to make a counter adjustment here. And they did. They realized our players can't move very fast, but you know what can move fast? The puck. So what they would do is they would have a player just fly the zone as soon as it looked like they were going to take over possession. And they would start going with stretch passes to get behind the crack in D. And you know what? It started working. They got a few breakaways out of it. They were able to make that counter adjustment. And the Kraken at that point in the game were just never really able to adjust back. So that's the kind of thing where, you know, Hackstall and the coaching staff, good job doing your pre-scout, good job coming out there with a strategy that fit your opponent, but you have to make some counter adjustments. And I think at that point in the game, nobody's head was in the right place. Like I said, that shorthanded goal, I think kind of broke them and just discipline became an issue for the Kraken late in this one. Yeah, they started taking some penalties for sure. That being said, PK unit for the Kraken, able to hold Nashville to 0 for 3 on the power play, stay perfect on the year. Um, You know, for all the power play woes that the Kraken have had, RJ, the penalty killing unit looks unstoppable. 
Like, I don't know what a team is supposed to do uh, against this team, especially considering the fact that, you know, the goaltending was on point. Certainly Grubauer was in this one, but really through all three of these games, if you're getting good play in front of the goaltender on the PK uh, on top of then also getting the good goaltending, I mean, nobody's how, how is anybody supposed to score against this Grubauer, Jay? It just looks like you can't. Their positioning is is perfect, really. They don't get too far outside of their box. They're they're not, you know, super aggressive. They've gone a little bit away from the whole power kill thing, even yes. though they've got a couple chances there. But really, they're just focused about not allowing any good chances on their own net, making sure the goalie has sight lines. That's the most impressive thing. Even uh, when killing a five on three in this mm -hmm. game, which they had to do, an extended five on three. Philip Grubauer was able to see every single shot that came his way. Uh, and I thought that was just really impressive from the penalty killers. It was. I was just going to say, yeah, no power kill. It doesn't look like so far this season. This reminds me kind of of the adjustment they made late in season one, where they kind of went away from that, you know, triangle plus one setup to a more traditional box. Doesn't this, it feels like that's kind it of does. what they did again here. Uh, and if you don't know what any of those things mean, somewhere on the YouTube, the Emerald City Hockey YouTube channel, I do like a, a penalty killing breakdown of the different systems with some examples and everything uh, you guys can all look up. Um, and you can see what that looks like both on the whiteboard and then with some clips. Um, so yeah, that's that's what it seems like with, the, with that. The power play, I mean, I don't even know what to say anymore with the power play, RJ other than it's just bad yeah same story in, in game two as it was in game one just kind of searching for answers no real confidence with the puck you know if you've watched the kraken for any extended period of time you've seen power plays like that before you know don't need to get too in detail on it no uh and then finally their third game rj they were able to pick up a point in this one still winless on the year but hey we're on the board standings wise uh as they fall to the st louis blues 2-1 in a shootout back on saturday night now I said it in the post game live for that one, RJ. If the Nashville game was the Kraken coming out and starting strong for the first 10 minutes and then kind of backing off, it really felt like this was a full, you know, at least a close to full 65 minute performance from the Kraken. Yeah, this is the performance generally that Dave Haxtall was looking for. He had talked about it after the first two games, that they had had really good moments, but they just needed to bring that effort consistently. You know, 10, 20 minutes of good hockey is not enough to win you a hockey game. You have to bring it for 60 minutes or sometimes even 65 if it's tied after 60. And that's, I really think, what the Kraken did in this game. Finishing was the problem, you know, finishing mm -hmm. was the issue as as it has been in the past, but they played a really solid game. They allowed almost nothing on their own goal, really, maybe just one quality, one or two quality chances all game. It's a good blueprint for how you win games, just a difficult results. I, I think the Kraken have to generally feel good about this one, but just hope you don't ever get into a shootout again. Yeah, that's that's certainly an ongoing theme for the Kraken uh, is, is those shootout problems. Although, hey, we saw a different lineup than what we were seeing last year. So there is hope there. I thought Maddie leading things off was great. He had a good move, just wasn't quite able to get enough air on it at the end. Um, but I liked seeing him out there for it. The other thing is, I'm with you. This felt like a really solid game. This was the kind of game that it felt like they needed at the end of this road trip before you have your home opener against Colorado. Um, and really a, a tough three-game stretch coming up here where you're going to be playing some really, really good teams. And it felt like the Kraken were at least, you know, getting the one point is good, but just the fact that they, they had such a complete and, and full game effort I think is going to be really important for them. Their one goal, though, RJ, came on a power play. 
were able to get a power play. St. Louis took a late penalty at the end of the first period. Kraken had, we're going to have most of the two minutes going into the, the start of the second period there. And uh, hey, Hackstall kind of read how the last couple games had been going for the power play. And he started the second unit, which I thought was interesting. Um, and look, they were able to go out there. Jaden Schwartz is able to get a power play goal off a, off of a tip. He was able to hang out there in front of Jordan Bennington and, and get the goal. And, you know, if, if that's what the power play is going for, then they executed it perfectly, RJ. And it was what they were going for. You noticed a noticeable shift in the power play and their strategy. They weren't trying to play around with the puck. I, I think when things are not going well, the direction from the coaching staff is simplify and just get pucks on net, volume shooting. And Vince Dunn talked about it before the game, actually, after morning skate. He was talking about the power play, and he said, really, just we're looking at shot volume. Just try and get shot volume, get lots of shots to the net, hope something goes in. And that's a way to kind of try and get rid of those, those struggles and maybe overthinking things. And it's a good way to kind of just cleanse and reset the power play. And I think it worked for them well in that St. Louis game. And you look at the goal, it, it comes from just a shot from distance, but yeah. Jaden Schwartz right there in front of the net, undisturbed, because that's what you get with the power play. If it's five on five, someone's there to bother Jaden Schwartz, to mark him up, to make sure he can't tip that puck. But you have the extra man. That's where you use it. And he tips a puck by Bennington that, you know, Bennington has no chance on because it's two feet in front of him. So that's a way to take advantage of it. I think long term, it's maybe not the recipe to be anything better than average uh, in the NHL as far as a power play. But you know what? We might just take average at this point. Certainly after how the season started for the power play units, I would certainly take average. Um, about seven minutes later, Jordan Cairo able to score for the St. Louis Blues off of a sequence, RJ, where it was as back and forth as you will ever see in the NHL, just teams full steam all the way down, get a shot off. The other team gets it, comes all the way down, gets a shot off, just back and forth. And it very much had that feeling of, hey, look, somebody's going to score here, right? You don't see that much back and forth and all the defensive breakdowns that go along with it without somebody scoring at some point. And unfortunately, RJ, when I was looking at it, I saw who was out there for St. Louis, and I said, oh, that's their one line that can score. This might be a Blues goal, and unfortunately it was. Yeah, it was, and also looking you know, for Seattle, just with finishing being the issue, it's tough, even trading odd man rushes. And, and this is a theme from all three games. I think the Kraken had plenty of odd man rushes in those yeah. three games. Two on ones, three on twos, where you can get a quality chance but no one can put the puck in the net. And then finally in this sequence, you've got a two-on-one. You have Matty Beniers with a, a pretty good shooting opportunity. Bennington makes the save. It goes right back the other way. And Jordan Cairo is the one who's able to put it past the goalie uh, with a really nice shot up high on Joey Decord. And um, it's the kind of thing, too, where coaches are going to hate that sequence. Probably on both sides, coaches yes. are going to hate that sequence of just back and forth hockey. But you're going to hate it maybe a little bit less if you're the team that's trailing. I don't know. Uh, well, there's that, and, and you end up scoring, you tie the game. That being said, I think Greg Rube can still find plenty of reasons to hate it, RJ. Seems like that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I'm, I'm sure he still wasn't overall thrilled, but, uh, you know, gets the Blues back in the game. Yes. Um, all right, so you mentioned Joey Decord there, and he certainly is one of the stories from this St. Louis Blues game. He gets the start after two phenomenal performances from Philip Grubauer. Joey steps into the net, and RJ, I mean, he turned in just as just as great a performance. Yes, you know, you get the loss in the shootout, but still, he was rock solid through all, all regulation, through overtime, and even into the shootout there a little bit. You know, shootouts are somewhat of a crapshoot anyway. Um, 
I just thought Joey looked phenomenal. You know, we had talked about him. We saw him last year in Coachella Valley. We knew what he could do. Saw You saw, got to see a lot more of him through training camp. I was just having to watch some of those preseason games. But he just looked like a guy that was destined for this backup spot. And, and you know what? He's making it work now that the season started, too. We all got a good glimpse of exactly why he won the backup job. This is how he looked all through training camp. You saw it in the preseason games as well, uh, where he only allowed one goal, I think, through all the preseason game action that he played. Uh, and another really solid performance here. It was a little different than the two games that Grubauer had faced in, in the first couple games of the season. Mm -hmm. I think the Kraken uh, did not allow as much defensively, which that's good. That's an improvement. But it can be kind of a tougher game for a goalie anyway, too, when you're not seeing a ton of shots and not, not seeing a ton of shot volume. I don't know. I know for the first two periods, he faced just single digit shots on goal. I think in the third, things started to ramp up. But you know what? When they did, he stepped up and made some big saves late. The Blues had some big pushes there in the third period where they were trying to take the lead. And, and Decord just looked like he was not going to allow another one. And that's that's was pretty much the case in this one. Just really great to see the Kraken having two goalies that can play this well over this kind of a stretch. I was asking you uh, in our post game after the third game, was this the best three game stretch of Kraken goaltending we've ever seen? Uh, you weren't entirely sure about that. I wasn't either. I was like, had to go back to maybe Martin Jones last season, but uh, definitely the best three game stretch, I think, where you have multiple goalies in the net. Yep, definitely. And yes, as you mentioned it, I mean, the Kraken did such a good job at shutting down St. Louis, only four shots for St. Louis in the first period. And then as you mentioned, as a goaltender, you've got to find ways of staying in the game when you're only facing four shots. That's certainly not easy to do. And then nine in the second and 11 in the third period for the Blues as the Blues were, were trying to get it done. Uh, but yeah, Joey looks phenomenal. Super, super happy for him uh, that he was able to do this. And hey, RJ, I mean, only one goal through the preseason, one goal so far in the regular season. New nickname for Joey, one goal decord. I like that. I think he'd take that as a nickname. That's pretty good if he could stick to it. Yeah, I, I kind of like that too. Um, things go into overtime, RJ, and I just I have to bring it up. The the the, over, the overtime system that the Kraken run, where it's control possession, just hang on to the puck. It it feels like it's a don't let anything bad happen type approach rather than a go out there and win the game approach and. I will say it again, especially now that we have seen them in the shootout. If you're going to be this bad of a shootout team, just try to win it in overtime. You know what I mean? It's If you lose and things go bad, it's still the one point you were going to get when you lost in the shootout, right? You know, I, I still generally support their overtime strategy. I think overall it does win you more games in overtime than... than playing the other way we saw them play more aggressively at the start of last season they mm -hmm. made the big adjustment after three overtime losses yep. and then you know they went off and rattle off some overtime wins i still think it's the best way to go but that does assume that you were at least a a semi-competent shootout team and the kraken just have not shown that at all they haven't won a shootout in i think what over a year um last last shootout they won was in 2022 yeah. uh, as i think Lindsay pointed out in the last at post the game. end of season one in 2022 yeah, at the end of the inaugural season. So uh, if we remember back that far. So it's been a long time. Uh, and yeah, just maybe if that is going to be the case, I think you do have to play at least a little bit more aggressively in overtime, at least to start the overtime. But I, I still look at the, the earlier sequence where the Blues get their tying goal there uh, on the back and mm -hmm. forth with Jordan Cairo, right? Do you really trust this team to outfinish 
the average, you know, other team in the league and, and given the players on this roster, I don't know that I do generally. So I still, I still support that strategy of, of playing a little bit more conservatively in overtime, but, uh, you just, you've just got to find somebody who can score in a shootout. And you know what? Credit to Dave Haxtell in this one, because I've, I've been on him. I've been kind of difficult on him because he just keeps going with the same shootout shooters mm-hmm. over and over again, expecting different results and not getting different results. They just, they yeah. fail to score. You know, the Jordan Eberle, McCann, you know, those guys that he always goes with, they just can't score. This time he did start with two new shooters who we hadn't seen in a game before, in a regular season game anyway, Maddie Beniers and Oliver Bjorkstrand. They both looked better. I, they, they I, I don't want to, you know, close doesn't really matter here, but Beniers had the goalie. He had Bennington just needed to lift it. Bjorkstrand had a good move, had a good look. It looked better at least than, than Everly and McCann just kind of walking in, shooting it right at the goalie's chest most of the time. Credit to him. Also because Beniers and Bjorkstrand, I've been watching their shootout practices. Those are the two guys who I think have looked the best and have scored the most in practice. So I can tell that, Hackstall's watching that he's looking at who's performing and he's putting those guys out there at the end of the day that's really all I can ask for yeah no it is I, like I said earlier I was super happy to see it too um last last note from this game just because we talked about it through the first two games Kraken penalty kill stays perfect blues go 0 for 4 on the power play so uh this this PK unit for the Kraken is just unstoppable there's not too much more we can actually say about them uh other than they're just they're just great and and that's that's a lot of fun I'll I'll take that (laughs) yeah I mean hey special teams 100% for the Kraken in this one they only had the one power play they scored on it and they kill off all four penalties Yep, no, it's it's really solid performance from them. All right, RJ, so you mentioned uh, something there in that last little bit when we're talking about the Blues game as we uh, transition now into the deep dive segment of the deep dive. And um, and that was, you know, finishing uh, the, the guys on the team and on the roster, something that has been very, very, very much talked about uh, from everybody on Twitter, Discord, in the postgame lives. The idea of the Kraken just don't have a finisher, RJ. Uh, and that's extended into conversations around other players on the team, whether it's, you know, hey, we th- really thought Matty Beneers was going to take another step forward this year. What's going on with him? Why is he starting so slow? Uh, whether it's Alexander Wenberg and and really the second line as a, as a whole, maybe not performing in the way that a lot of people expected or wanted or hey, why didn't we keep Daniel Sprong as he has as many goals as the entire Kraken team has through three games, right? And so there's a lot of conversation around all this, and we we address it every time it comes up on, on Post Game Live. We address it, we talk about it. Um, but really, RJ, I wanted to talk about it here, obviously, because it's, it's certainly what the community is talking about. It's what Kraken fans are all talking about. But I didn't want to just be like, well, what is wrong with Matty Beniers or what, you know, is Wenberg not good enough or whatever it is. And and it got me thinking more on like a larger scale as we're seeing all these different comments about all these different players and our responses to them were all roughly the same, uh, which is, you know, hey, look, they're, they're more of a complete player, right? This isn't a player that's going to go out and score 35 goals or whatever it is. And, and as we like are mentioning that for like the fourth player in a row, RJ, it got me thinking, are the Kraken too focused on having complete players on their roster? When Ron Francis goes out and I mean, it's a little too early to really talk about drafted players, but when he goes out into free agency or he goes and he makes a trade, 
is he too focused on finding complete players guys who can help drive possession sure guys who can be responsible back checking if they're a forward right something like that but maybe aren't going to be that killer on the power play they're not going to be that guy who is really creative either on the power play or just in the offensive zone five on five or that power forward who's going to drive the net and just make life really difficult for an opposing team's d-man uh like are the Kraken too focused on just finding really good, rock solid, they're not going to go out there and do anything bad type players, RJ? You know, I don't know that it's it's a matter of focus on on getting those type of players, but I think there certainly is a trade-off there. And I, I think they're also kind of boxed in by the expansion draft and, and the way you almost mm -hmm. have to build a team uh, with the expansion draft. But you know what? I, I'm going to say... Yes, they have passed up on opportunities to bring in those difference makers. And at the end of the day, you're going to need at least one of them. And yeah, I know Andre Burakovsky, you mentioned, might be someone that, you know, is, is like a finisher. He's, you know, you bring in someone like that who kind of is good at that one thing, at creating offense. Um, but they don't have any true star finishers at this point. And I think um, that's something that's becoming clear over these three games. Even I think it was clear, you know, last season, too. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Ron Francis, I asked him about this at the end of last season, about the roster construction, which I love thinking about, by the way, because the Kraken had such a unique roster construction. They had a bunch of guys in the 5 million or so range mm -hmm. in the at the forward position and nobody with a really huge salary. And I said, is that something that you'd like to continue as far as building a team that way? Uh, or, you know, is it going to end up looking like other teams where you kind of have the, the stars and scrubs type of model where you have some, some superstars you're paying in the nine, $10 million range. And then you go with closer to league minimum guys the rest of the way. And Francis, you know, he kind of scoffed a little bit, just like, well, do I really have a choice? I'd love to keep playing guys, you know, in the $5 million yeah. range. But, uh, you know, at a certain point, players are going to demand more than that. Uh, and he said, it's going to happen to us. Mm -hmm. Like it happens to every other team, it's going to happen to us. And so I think you're going to start seeing that shift away um, from the way that the Kraken are built right now. And it's it's just a necessity given how the, the league is. Of course, when I asked him that question, it was more in the context of the Kraken kind of felt like they had this superpower after last season, right? Where they were just built in a way that other teams weren't built in. It felt like teams couldn't yeah. stop them in the playoffs. And I do think there's still an advantage in the playoffs to that kind of build, but you better have enough finishing to get you there. And now we're seeing through three games maybe that's a little bit more in question than we previously thought. Certainly if certain guys on the team aren't going to kind of, you know, play above their weight or if everybody's going to be cold all at once, right? Because you can survive without one or two top finishers if you're getting the, you know, goals by committee approach, which is what we saw from them last year, right? Where just everybody was able to kind of score, you know, 15 to 20 goals, that's enough, right? When you're getting multiple guys who can on any given night contribute and, and get you the, the three goals that you need to win the game, you can get by on that. But if, if nobody's kind of doing that, then it's it's certainly more of a problem that you don't have the one guy that you can lean on. McCann is probably the, the one guy that they can lean on in most of these situations. You, you know, he had the 40 goals last year, but we also talked about his extremely high shooting percentage and the fact that that was not going to be repeatable year over year it's just it's just not nobody's able to do that um i still hold that you know you look at at certainly i think the center depth for this team is what you'd want for a postseason run we saw how well it worked last year 
The only exception being they couldn't win faceoffs in key moments. I think if they did that a little bit more, you maybe even beat Dallas and go to the you know the conference finals. But you look at the centers that they have, RJ, Matty Veneers, Alexander Wenberg, Yanni Gord. Um, uh, uh, fourth line doesn't totally factor into this, especially when the Kraken really cycle through their top three lines the way that they do. All three of those centers I would describe as complete centers, if not even kind of defensively leaning centers, right? Like none of them are offensive powerhouses at all. That's not who they've ever been. Yanni Gord has never been that. That wasn't what he was in Tampa. Wenberg, you know, the thing that got him this free agent uh, contract and signing was his play in Florida, which was, again, very kind of defensive and two-way, and, and that's what he focused on and what he brought to the Panthers. And then Matty Paneers, who was a player, you know, when he was drafted, was out there saying the day he was drafted, I need to work on my shot. My shot is just not good enough right now, right? I, I focus on defense. I love Patrice Bergeron. These are, these are the things I, I work on. And I look at that and I go... You know, is it is it that they just don't I mean, is that a problem that you have three complete centers? You don't have one center who can go out there and lead a line and and just be the guy who's going to lead the charge, RJ, drive possession and take it all the way to the net and, and try to make a goal happen. It's it's a problem if you can't like it, they it's the teams that get you there or the players that get you there and the players that get you through. I think that kind of thing is not a problem in the playoffs when you can run those three defensive centers deep. And we Mm -hmm. saw the success they had even against teams like Colorado, Dallas, who have that star power and Mm -hmm. it looked really good. And I think if you can make it to the playoffs, it's not an issue, but the question is, can you make it there? And it's, shouldn't be too hard to make the playoffs in the NHL. Look, half the teams make it. You just have to be in the top eight in your conference. And usually three or four of those teams are not in a position to make it at all, you know, that are, that are just below you in the standings for sure. Um, But also you see the difference in the first two rounds of the playoffs versus I think the last two rounds of the playoffs too, where you need that star power to, to get to that final step. I think you look at Vegas in year one uh, and they were, built kind of similarly to the Kraken, right? No, you know, no real superstar yeah. players. Committee but approach. Exactly. Committee approach looked a lot like the Kraken did last year. And they do get to the cup final, but, you know, they're dispatched pretty easily in in, uh, in five games there. And it just didn't look like that kind of unbeatable team necessarily that, say, the Vegas Golden Knights were last season, where you do bring in some star power, where you do have a Jack Eichel who just at certain points can't be stopped, uh, where you do have some stars along the blue line, like an Alex Petrangelo, who you're paying big money, who can just log those big minutes. They didn't have anybody like that in their inaugural season. And that team, you, nobody was going to beat them. And, and it wasn't particularly close. Um, and so I think you see the difference in those two builds and maybe the difference you can have in year one or, or in the, you know, Kraken's case year two, where your options are a little bit more limited versus year six, when you have the time to take those big swings, to go get a Jack Eichel, to go get a Mark Stone, uh, to go get some of those star players who can really carry you when the going gets tough. Yeah, it is interesting, right? Because like one of the things we're coming around to is this idea that the Kraken are almost too built for the playoffs, right? Like, would you say that's a fair <laughs> assessment, a fair takeaway, yes. given everything we've talked about? <laughs> Which is hard because I I struggle to say at any point you can be too built for the playoffs because the playoffs are what matters. Yes. No one really cares about your regular season finish. Uh, you know, the Kraken just played Nashville and, you know, they got that banner hanging up there, Western Conference regular season champions, and they were mocked for it. Um, no one really cares. It, it's all about the playoffs. 
but you do have to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it's kind of crazy to think about because, you know, look, it, it makes sense in a lot of ways. We've talked about this. We talked about it all leading up to the playoffs last year. The NHL, more than any other sport, changes, like fundamentally changes when it becomes playoff hockey. The game is different. It is faster. It is way, way, way more physical. It is a lot more about grinding things out. Penalties are not going to be called as frequently, so you need to play around that. There's just so many things about the NHL playoffs that are different from the regular season that it makes sense almost that you would have rosters built for one or the other, regular season or playoffs. Um, and it also seems crazy to think about, RJ, the NHL is one of those leagues where half the teams make the playoffs every year. So you just need to be in the top half of the league and you'll punch your ticket to the playoffs. And then if you're built for the playoffs, you can go and excel, uh, which is what the Kraken did last year, right? Just make it to the wild card spot, get in, then you can make things happen. It's just, it's, it's really quite strange after watching these first three games that, yeah, this roster just looks like they're built for something that isn't happening right now, right? They just don't have the ability to go out there and, and score on a power play or move the puck in a creative way when they're given time and space or yeah, like I, I, it, it's just really, really weird. I don't know how else to describe it. And I don't know that I've seen anything like it before either. Right. And well, we talked about the top of the lineup. We talked about the star power and being able to have that as, as what brings you, you know, gets you through sometimes when you're having a scoring slump. I, I do want to look at, and you mentioned a little bit at the other end of the, the forward lineup, right? At the fourth line and yeah. last season where you had, because this is something that's been brought up quite a bit. You had Daniel Sprong, you had Ryan Donato, and you had Morgan Geeky on that fourth line. Right. All three of those guys are gone now. And you look at their production. I mean, heck, you take those three, they averaged about 15 goals each. Other teams don't have that on no. their fourth line. You know, three guys amounting to 44 goals. Uh, and the fourth line this year, as well as they've played generally, I think, they haven't accounted for a goal yet. Uh, I mean, you know, very few of the Kraken's lines have, but maybe that's something that's a difference as well. And and Hackstall had talked about it last season too, having a fourth line that's kind of built for the regular season and then one that's built for the playoffs. And I think we saw that change pretty clearly with the fourth line built for the regular season, looked fantastic, yeah. added some of that scoring punch in those games. But when the playoffs rolled around, you know, Daniel Sprong was was kind of invisible, nowhere to really be found. Ryan Donato, for all as well as he played, uh, didn't end up scoring, I think. And yep. uh, Morgan Geeky, probably looking the best of the three. And of course, he's probably the most playoff built guy, the guy with the least amount of goals and points over the regular season. Yeah. But is having that playoff built fourth line, which I think is kind of what the Kraken's fourth line looks like right now. It is in the regular season. Is that going to be a problem? Right. And I mean, I, I wouldn't have said yes before the season started, right? I really defended what the Kraken were doing as far as the fourth line. I was defending Hackstall last year when he was trying to work John Hayden in over a Daniel Sprong of, hey, look, come playoff time, you're going to need somebody like a John Hayden. Daniel Sprong in limited, limited minutes and given his style of play is not going to be able to do what he's doing now in the playoffs that you just he's just not and we certainly saw that with one goal and two points in 10 games for him two assists for ryan donato through all 14 playoff games that the kraken played and then as you said geeky did the best but still only four points in 13 games for him 
right? Like that is nowhere close to the level of production they had in the regular season. And it's largely just because they, they're not players built for the playoffs. Whereas you look at Yanni Gord, almost a point per game player in the playoffs. He's not nearly a point per game player in the regular season, right? Like he's just not built to thrive in that environment. Um, and so it's, it's really quite a fascinating study. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is really for the Kraken here, RJ. Obviously, they have changed some things offensively from what they want to be doing. They want to involve defensemen. I've liked what they've been able to do involving their defensemen offensively. It looks like all the defensive pairs are on the same page as far as when one play, when one defenseman steps up or works towards this area of the ice, the other guy slides over. We've seen that work a lot better than in years past for the Kraken. So they're working on stuff. We're seeing them go to the net a lot more, right? Especially like in that Nashville game, you could tell they wanted to do that against Soros. You could tell they wanted to do that against Bennington. It's just going to take time for some of the cohesion to all kind of gel for everybody. But at the end of the day, they're going to need to start trying to find a way of manufacturing goals. When you are stuck in a game like that Nashville game and you've poured everything that you normally try at them and you have nothing to show for it, at some point, you got to go, all right, let's simplify this. Let's go old school hockey. Let's go in, shoot for the pads, create a rebound. Everybody dive the net, right? And you and you try to, to get a dirty goal because when you've got a defense and goaltending playing as well as you have right now, sometimes you might only need that one goal to really get things going or to change the momentum of a game. And I, and I think that's going to be something that the Kraken are going to have to open themselves up to if the season continues to go the way it's going. Yeah, and over a large sample size, like an 82-game regular season, that should provide enough goals. I mean, you look at up and down the Kraken's forwards and just their past production, not even looking at last season, but before that, there should be enough goals there to at least get you in the top half of the league. And so that's why yeah. I'm still, in the short term, confident they can turn things around. Certainly, if the, the defense and goaltending continues to stay this good, I think they certainly will turn things around. But it's, it's one of those where... You just have to bank enough points, make sure that situationally you're smart about things too. You know, when you're tied with, I say this way too often, but when you're tied with five minutes to go in a game, you yes. make sure you get at least a point out of it. Things like that. You just can't throw away points so far. They, they haven't really, I mean, they, no. they just kind of were not in those first two games. They didn't throw away points in the blues game. It's just, you know, it's the shootout. It's a crapshoot. but just continue to bank points as well as you can play the game that you have to play in the regular season, it doesn't have to look pretty and then have that playoff build going into the postseason. And I think things can look different for you. That's the short term Yeah. in the long term, And I I'll kind of put my armchair GM hat on here. And just, it. if you'll allow me, um, you gave me a roster construction question this week for the, for the podcast. So you have yeah. to allow me, I think yep. um, in the long term, I think Ron Francis has a big decision to make. And I kind of went over this on our last armchair GM chat for the patrons after this year because this year you're kind of boxed in by the contracts that you signed at the very outset whether that's bringing in uh, you know jordan eberle from the expansion draft or alex wenberg as a free agent mm -hmm. you're boxed in by those deals and that kind of build you gain a lot of flexibility next year when things open up jordan eberle's contract ends alex wenberg's contract ends chris drieger's contract ends we don't really think about him but that'll free up some cap space as well mm -hmm. and Factoring in the Matty Beneers extension that we all know is coming. We don't know what the number is, but factoring that in, the Kraken are going to have about $11 million in cap space to fill maybe two forward spots, assuming the defense stays more or less the same. And 
there are a couple different directions you can go in with that, right? You could bring in a pair of $5 million players, or you could try and bring in one about $10 million player. Mm -hmm. And Ron Francis is going to have to decide what that build is going to be because any players you're going to bring in, it's probably for multi-year deals. It's probably for the, the real meat of the Kraken's competitive window. How do you want this team to look? And personally, I'm of the opinion he should go big game hunting. See if there's a player in that nine to $10 million range who really makes sense for you. It all depends on who's, who's on the market. You know, there, these players don't come along very often. There's usually maybe two or three every, every year that yep. are on the market that are generally available for trade. So it kind of depends who ends up falling to you. But if there's somebody that you see there that you like, go after them. Bring in that big name player. I think you want to have going forward a star player that you can pair with Matty Beniers, that you can pair with Jared McCann. Uh, can't do it this year, but I think going forward, next offseason, that has to be the priority. Francis has already said, it's going to happen to us. We're going to have the same build as other teams. Yeah. You might as well take advantage of it next season. Right, and hey, look, you're going to have even, you know, all that flexibility. You mentioned that you're going to have two forward spots that you need to fill. One of those could be filled by Shane Wright on a rookie-level contract, right? Riker, you know, the one defenseman really up at the end of this year is is Justin Schultz. We know, you know, Riker Evans, he's destined for that spot, right? He's going to be on a cheap deal. So you're you're all those things are going to help free up even more space. Um, Willie Nylander looks like the, the name to end the circle, right, RJ? Yeah, I think so. Certainly the, the most talented, I think of the names that are, that are available, you know, Elias Lindholm is also there, but I, and, and with some Canes connections, but I do think William Nylander is probably the name to circle there. Um, you know, he's going to want to get paid. Yeah. I'm still not sure about that situation in Toronto. You know, it's a long time from now to the point where it he is. might really be available, but someone to look at. And, and then, you know, there's always some surprise names that, that no one's yep. really talking about too, that you could go after. But basically Ron Francis is going to have essentially this team, you know, yeah. minus, I guess, an Alex Wenberg, you know, which sounds like from the, from the view of the fan base, maybe, you know, he's not contributing the most and, you know, minus a Jordan Everly potentially, and you can add one thing to it. Mm -hmm. It's going to be really important what that addition is. So, you know, that's, that's probably going to, to, play the biggest role in as far as how what the crack can do over the next few years is what that one or two i guess additions are you know that you add to the team so uh, keep an eye out for that yeah no it's 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 an exciting thing to think about but as you mentioned it's a long ways off there's there's still what 79 yeah we got a whole left yeah 79 <laughs> games yeah let's yeah for the, forget the long term now let's focus on the short term is, is uh, that all still a lot of season left there's a lot of season left. There's a lot of opportunity for guys to still step up uh, in this young season and, and start contributing. There's still a lot of time for, hey, the, the whole you know win-by-committee approach to still come into play. We, we still don't know. We still don't know, RJ, if the team is just going to be the exact opposite of last year where they're going to win a bunch of home games and just be bad on the road, unlike last year where they were total road warriors and just couldn't do anything for the fans at CPA. Um, I still think that that's something that's on the table uh, as we just kind of take the last little bit here of the podcast to look ahead, RJ. Obviously, the home opener tomorrow night against the Avalanche. That's going to be a lot of fun. But then you also get some home games against Carolina and the Rangers. I think if the Kraken are able to win two of those three games, no more questions. This team is just back on. Let's just go the rest of the season. I think they're fine. Um, it, that's that's at least the marker for me, RJ. I want four points out of the next three games, out of that little homestand 
where are you at? Could, could, even if they look good, but they only get two points, is that enough for you? I need at least three, but I need them to look good and get at least three, but you have to start banking points. I, you know, I'm, I guess I'm kind of tempted to just go with you as far as four points, given that you've dropped as many as you did uh, in that opening road trip, but it is a tough homestand, but you know what? It's prove it time and the Kraken get up for these games. They, you know, they really do. I, you can tell the players are, are going to want to make things right. And also uh, the biggest test, I think, is the home opener against Colorado, because you know yep. what didn't happen at any point last season? A four game losing streak. If they mm -hmm. can nip that in the bud, go out there, win against Colorado. I mean, really in any fashion, but especially if you get a convincing regulation win, then I'm just like, OK, get one point out of these next two games, at least look good and move on uh, back to the road. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I think that would be, oh man, that would be so, so much fun. And you know how loud CPA would be, RJ. Be so I would loud. take that trade in general of just being a good home team this year and, and yes. you know maybe dropping some extra games on the road. Uh, it would be nice to, to be at more wins. Yeah, it definitely would be. Uh, I think for everybody in Seattle uh, would take that one. So uh, that's that's what we have to look forward to, everybody. Those are the three games this upcoming week. All of them are 7 p.m. Pacific starts. Uh, all of them at home. Got Colorado on Tuesday. Got Carolina on Thursday. And then the Rangers coming to town on Saturday. Really good lineup for the Kraken there. Really looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing everybody for the post-game lives. Always look forward to those. It's been great to get back to that uh, to start this season. And then also, again, one more time, shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring the podcast and for all that they do for the Kraken community and, and um, as far as being available nearby to Climate Pledge Arena, all that kind of stuff for, for pre- and post-game stuff. So really good stuff from them. Uh, Going to cut this one a little bit short because RJ has to get over to practice. Uh, <laughs> we want him there. <laughs> So thanks, everybody, for joining us for this episode of The Deep Dive. Let us know your thoughts in the comment section on YouTube or tweet at us. Hit us up on Instagram, all that good stuff. Come into the Discord and talk about it. You know, do you think the Kraken are too much of a complete team? What would you like to see them uh, make changes for roster-wise if you, if you were Ron Francis? All that good stuff. Always looking forward to hearing from everybody. But until next time, uh, got to say, see you next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Beef, Ben, Brad, Brian, Burnt Creme, Kaylin, Chris, Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Harry Legionary, Habak, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Katie, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Max, Maya, Michael, Michelle, Nick, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rayanne, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, Sia Kraken, Sean B, Sean O, Sergey, Sergeant Pickles, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Ty, Tyler, Wendy, Strife, and Zame. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.